Hey folks, it's Jeff Lindsay from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Fun. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? Everybody doing all right? I know I'm not. Yep. I was going to put this episode out yesterday, but I decided that I wanted to wait. I wanted to wait for the election results. And as you can tell, you probably know what side I'm on. I don't even know where to begin. Well, let's start with this. Let's talk about this episode. So... I want to apologize, first of all, off to uh, Daniela, uh, Daniela, I should say, excuse me, um, if uh, my energy's not up. I was up all night, and I'm in shock. I'm in disbelief. Um, I'm speechless, as you can probably tell. But, um, yeah, I'm just dumbfounded right now, but... So on this episode, um, I talked to Daniela, Daniela, gosh, I can't get that out this morning, sorry, uh, Castianos, and she has a Kickstarter campaign called The Way You Backpack, and it's really, it's a backpack, but it also supports Colombian hand craftsmanship, and Daniela and I uh, shared some tweets earlier in the year, um, and she, you know, I knew that she had this Kickstarter campaign coming down the road, and when I finally saw that it was launched, And obviously being successful, hence her being on the podcast, uh, I was giddy to talk to her and um, giddy to kind of find out the backstory uh, on the the backpacks and um, her history as an entrepreneur. And I really, really, really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I will tell you, it is a little bit of a challenging uh, conversation just because she's at a cafe. uh, So there's some background noise. But um, if you do tune in and listen to it, uh, just a ton of great information. Um, And I really appreciated like her worldly view on uh, entrepreneurship um, and and how to approach stuff. So, so I don't want to put a damper on that conversation because it was awesome. But I do want to get into, uh, you know, just this emotion that's in me right now. Um, you know, it's early in the morning, um, Wednesday, and I'm going to try to get this episode out later today, just so that um, you know I keep on my schedule because I've got another uh, episode tomorrow that's going to be coming out. But like I said earlier, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I'm floored. Um, uh, something else that happened to me yesterday is, is uh, my mom called me with, you know, a sort of, you know, I feel icky. I think it was her words. And I'm like, oh, okay, what's up? Oh, I had to vote for Trump. And I just, I was so offended by that. And I'll tell you why I'm offended. It's not that it's, it's her decision, obviously, but I'm offended because uh, my sister or my mom's daughter um, is a lesbian. And has been for a long time. Not that that should matter, but and has a partner and has, um, you know, teenage kids that um, will be affected by this um, greatly, right? Greatly by this decision. Um, my mom has a granddaughter, and I just could not believe the lack of of knowledge from my mom. I was horrified to hear her reasoning for her voting. Basically, it came down to just money and Hillary emails. I'll tell you why I am so irate with that. One, my mother doesn't know how to send emails in general. 
uh, one of my tech support jobs that had happened in my life is I had to go down and, and, and figure out why none of her emails go out. And the reasoning behind that used to be funny, but now I'm pissed off about this reason. The reason was that she would just type my name into the two and then hit send, and it would never get to me. She didn't know how email worked, right? So now she's going to tell me the servers and the hidden emails. That was a big factor. What the fuck are you talking about? You, you don't even comprehend what that equals. You... you, you you're choosing not to learn more about that. And then the second thing I can't get my head around is the, the, the female aspect of this. How do you look at, my, at your granddaughter? Uh, how do you look at your daughter and say, hey, I, I don't want you to be served if you go to Indiana. I want, people, I want a pizzeria to be able to not serve you because you're a lesbian. How do you look at your daughter and say that with a straight face? How do you come down to a, so here's another thing. My parents have lived off of um, investment money basically their entire life. Uh, my grandpa, I guess, had some investments. I, he, he died before I was born, so I've never met him, but this is what I've been told. And my mom's scenario was about money was, well, we don't, we haven't had any in the last eight years. There's no money, right? I mean, I believe the stock, my mom probably just lost a ton of money in the stock market, stock market a ton of money. Yet, my, my, I have gotten dividend checks from the from the money in the last uh, four years because of how good the economy is doing. I am so disappointed in the lack of respect to being American, to know the facts, do the research, get off of Facebook, go to something else, really get out of your own bubble, and. And I know that that's an elitist attitude, which is what I, you know, which is what I'm suffering from today. I, it's not. Why is being educated an elitist attitude? When did that happen? I want to know stuff. I want to. I want to make decisions that are going to impact me. And I don't understand how on earth any woman right now could vote for Donald Trump. And you can call me ignorant to say that, but I can't comprehend it. On any level, from the language, from the the sexist, the racism, how can you explain it with any rationality into reality? How? So yeah, I'm tired. I'm so tired. I was up four in the morning then my kids aren't sleeping again and I keep saying that because I want everybody to, to I want a, I want a track record of how often how little I sleep because my kids were up tossing and turning and coughing last night again I am just absolutely dumbfounded and I know there's more people out there and I know I'm such a, I'm small you know and, and I know this podcast reaches definitely a small audience but I'm upset about a lot of stuff I'm upset and to see that many people Deceive what 55, 56 million people who believe in, you know, racism and bigotry and all of these nasty things. To the point, here's an example. I have been troll me. I've been trolled on my Facebook for some guy. I have no idea who he is. He married somebody apparently I went to high school with, three or four years younger than me. Is trolling me right now on Facebook that I had to go block him. I didn't send anything to him. I didn't put anything up that was. And all of this came from the fact that I did share President Obama had something about, you know, uh, some sit-down talking head thing about just getting out to vote. 
just the importance of getting out to vote. That's all it was. It wasn't a rhetoric. wasn't, you know, my belief. But just get out to vote. And I got a guy just trolling. That's the attitude. That's what that's what we've got ahead of us. And I'll be the, I'll, you know, this obviously is the, is the hot button thing. But this is what's in my head, too. I cannot fathom what I'm supposed to say to my kids. I cannot fathom the fact that they went to bed and going, oh my God, we're going to have a woman president maybe? This is so awesome. And two, we have a bully. Um, you know, my daughter can think that, you know, when you get your corporate job at some point, you know, some old white dude can grab your ass. That's cool. That's what it is. You don't need to make as much money as, as them either. Honestly, I'm thanking whoever it is up, uh, up above that my kids aren't older. You know, the five and three. So it's not like this conversation is really going to sit and hit home. And, and But my God, if my kids were any older than that, I don't know how I would fathom. If they were 12, 13, 14 years old, and especially if I had a daughter, how on earth could you look at them with a straight face and have this conversation? I don't know how to have a conversation with my son about not being a bully, right? How to, how to you, you know, treat everybody with respect. How do you have that conversation right now? I want the 56 million people out there to tell me how I'm supposed to have that conversation right now. I want to know how they're having the conversation. Are they okay with that? And you know what? Maybe this is the pussy attitude, right? Maybe it is. But all I know is, you know what? I actually don't know anything. I'm a blowhard like everybody else. I have no idea. I'm doing a podcast I take this time, early, you know, before my interviews to, for my therapy, frankly, flat out, for me to get it out of my brain because, you know, and if you want to shut it off and you don't want to listen, that's fine. But hopefully, you know, you, you see that there's value out, you know, by all these conversations and you hear the inspiring entrepreneurship attitude. Um, but man, I'm just I, I, I wanted to throw up so much less. Uh, yeah, sucks. It really does suck. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You know what? I think it's enough of this. Um, I want to kick into my conversation um, uh, with Daniela. Daniela. I'm saying it correct. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm mispronouncing it to some degree. I'm, I'm in a I'm in a different state of mind right now. Um, but check out her campaign for the way you backpack. This conversation is amazing. Kind um, of if you, if you remember my last rant, this was part of that conversation of of wanting to be more worldly in my views, and you know, uh, I was so I was inspired by my conversation with her. Um, and I, I love the fact that she has 108, uh, excuse me, 193 backers right now. She's already crushed her goal. 15, you know, she's got a couple more weeks to go. And it was, a, like I said, an inspiring conversation. It's a conversation that I hope at some point when my daughter's old enough, she'll listen to. So, uh, Daniela, I want you to know, you know, I appreciate you uh, and I appreciate your struggle that you've gone through to get to become an entrepreneur. And I, I, uh, I, I just think it's great. And I hope that this is kind of the perfect interview to have on a day like this where people can see what the power looks like throughout the world, not here. Because, uh, you know, uh, she's in Colombia, she's in the UK, 
this is this is a world conversation and, and this is again where we should be so enough of me enough of my emotions i hope you guys enjoyed the conversation um okay here we go When I was a child, I seen too many things When I got old, reality killed my dreams Overstand the game we play Understand the price we pay The poor are getting poor And the rich have seen them gone away With drugs come poverty and neglect And in my Text to this war. Have you ever walked over the blood of your brother? And those who you pay to serve and protect, they beat you down. And the system takes everything you have. When you fall, there's nobody else around. I'm calling on the spirit, but I don't think you hear. All right, the red light's on. The important time. Here we are. So why don't we start with just kind of you telling my listeners exactly what your product is and, uh, and what your Kickstarter campaign is about. Okay, so my product is mainly a backpack. It's a backpack that is handmade using a fine crochet technique by indigenous women in Colombia. Uh, okay. Our- <laughs> Interesting. So how did that get started there? That's, a, yeah, that, that's an intriguing story there. Okay, so, well, just to introduce you about my Kickstarter, um, my Kickstarter support and preserve indigenous craftsmanship. Our backpacks, bags, and bracelets are handmade in Colombia. I started this project around three years ago um, when I finished my degree as a journalist, and it's been yeah, a great, great time uh, developing myself as an entrepreneur, but at the same time trying to make an impact in the fashion industry and trying to show the stories of these indigenous women that many people don't know. And um, a year ago, I've been working really hard on the prototype for my backpacks, and I was thinking of, of Kickstarter from long time, but I knew I couldn't I couldn't launch a project until I was ready, until I have a community, until I, you know, being a little bit more established. So, sure. so I'm just launching this Kickstarter ten days ago. I'm very excited. I think I did a great um, job on bringing backers on day one and reach my goal. Yeah, it seems, now, yeah it seems, I mean, you've got a ton of success going on right now. I mean, just just so our listeners know, you've you've already hit your goal of about twelve thousand uh, dollars U.S., uh, but you you have one hundred eighty five backers already, which is that, that's just a phenomenal, phenomenal job of getting that early support in your campaign. So, um, so l- before we get into like the, the actual like Kickstarter meat and potatoes of how you got to this point, you know, what's the background a little bit on you? Where, where did you grow up? Okay, guys, so I am Daniela. I don't know if you introduced my name. <laughs> I'm 27 years old. I, I was born in Colombia. I grew up in Colombia most of my life. My dad moved to the U.S., so my dad lives in Boston. I usually go there and go to New York. And my, my mom passed away when I was 17, when I was really young. Um, and I moved to London first time when I was 22 uh, because I found an internship here. And I wanted to expand more my horizons, perfect my English. 
Um, but I'm honestly, like my, my background is not in, in business. It's mainly in uh, TV and I was a model. I was a Miss Colombia finalist when I was 21. And uh, I worked for almost five years in the industry while I was doing my degree. And um, I think by 22, I just fly to the UK and, and I left all that life. I, I just left that life. I felt some, something something weird in my life. Like I felt lost. I couldn't know what to do. And, and then when I get back to finish my degree, I found a great passion um, through, through traveling and discovering these women. So, so when does the idea, though, start of, of a backpack? You know, where does that transformation happen where you're like, I, I, I think we can make a really cool backpack? How does that come about? Okay, so when I get back um, in 2013, after I finished my internship in London, I went back to, I, I was back in Colombia. And um, uh, I, just, I just couldn't fit again in society, I think. Um, and then I remember I have one of these similar mochila bags or crossbody bags that the women used to make in my house. And I thought, well, I don't want to go to a job again. I don't want to work in modeling again. Everything sucked for me. Like, I couldn't stand myself in Colombia. And I saw the back, and I was remembering, you know, what Daniela likes, what I want to do, what I like in my life. And I remember, and I was um, by six, 16, 17, selling dresses in a school. And I was always selling stuff on the label Castellano, that is my last name. Mm -hmm. So I remember I saw this small bag and I thought, oh my God, what I don't go back to England and I start selling these bags, but why I don't share, share the story? What I don't sell these bags with a story, with a culture, right? And then I become so excited about it. So I start drawing backpacks at my house and I, I, I always have the vision of, I like fashion and I always have the vision, if I create something, I don't want to, do like a cheap brand or something crap. I really like when I create something on the levels of Prada or Hermes. I always visualize like that. And I think very big and I'm very ambitious. So I thought, okay, if I want to do that, I just want to figure out everything. Every single process of how these women live, how they made the bags, what is the, you know, what is the story behind the, the cosmology, the meaning of the patterns, what is the black market? Because bags are being, you know, women are being exploited and sold and the bags sold very cheaply. So I thought, you know, I got some savings and I don't have anything to lose. I just want to go six months, travel to my country, uh, you know, travel the North Coast and, and figure out what's going on there. And the day I land in the desert, I just found a passion. I just never stop again. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about, is it the Wayu? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, it's the Wayu, Wayu women. The Wayu women. So, you know, are, you know, I don't know anything about them. So what, you know, are they, I guess explain that a little bit and how they're a part of this uh, whole project. Okay, so the Wayu women or the Wayu people is an ethnic group or yeah, ethnic people who live in the north coast of Colombia. There is around 45,000 people of this community who live uh, in really precarious conditions. So you travel to the north coast around uh, six hours from Cartagena, the university. Um, there is no running water when you go to the desert. You don't see water, you don't see hotels or no buildings. It's just completely a desert. And and then you, you, you start digging in and you start seeing the tribes and people living in the small huts, like small huts and they sleep in hammocks. Uh, there is no kitchens. Uh, they just completely live in a really natural environment. 
okay. which is pretty amazing. But at yeah. the same time, it's really sad because there is no enough infrastructure. There is no clean water. And there is a lot of problems with malnutrition. And the girls and the women have these amazing textiles or techniques that they have been growing up for you know centuries and centuries moving the bags. And that's the only, I think, heritage and the culture they preserve. So, so if you want to know about them, um, mainly it's just about the bags that have been beco- become popular, I think, in Colombia and some of them outside Colombia. And when people are supporting this campaign... Uh, how are they involved in it? What what's happening? Um, you know, uh, you know what's 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 the relationship look like if if you're supporting your project on Kickstarter? Okay, so what I try to do with my campaign and my project right now is look, guys. First, I want you to know who are these people. Second, I want you to know that this is not a charity. I'm just making products that improve life, that give jobs to these women from each bag or backpack we sell. We're giving employment or well, not employment jobs to one woman that is gonna weave the textiles. Each each textiles uh, take twenty to twenty five days to finish, depending of the size of the textile. So so what I wanna do is just preserve that craftsmanship, preserve the techniques because it's one of the last remaining in our planet. And at the same time, just do something good for the world, make an impact. So show there there is a sustainable products that that they can be a bit, you know they can sell well in in the fashion industry. That's, that's a really great. I wouldn't call it a cause, but just a really great way of 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 thinking almost of your product as a three sixty and how it can give back, how it can still you know still be fashion forward, you know. They'll just have all good intentions behind it. I, I think that's really, really, really great that, uh, that that's how far you've thought about it. It isn't just a handbag. So, well, I don't even know. It, would you call it a handbag or what? Was it more of a backpack? I guess. How well, would you yeah. describe it? Is it? Yeah. The, our main product is a backpack. So, when you go okay. to our Kickstarter, I'm talking there about the stories and about the backpack. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we have other rewards that are a, like a satchel, like a crossbody bag. Uh, that's the typical back the women make yeah, uh, right. what I did is I developed a textile with them and, and build a backpack with leather yeah it's, it's, it's a really well done backpack so after you kind of get through this design how does it get into the manufacturing stage of this where you're you know it looks like you've got like the leathers and, and just you know considering I've never put together a, um, a handbag or purse or anything like that what is the process how long does it really take from getting the woven fabrics to all the way to actually having a final product yeah, well, actually, it's a great question because um, I f- first I have to build like five, five different prototypes. Mm-hmm. So um, I realized the women make the textile, then the textile travels uh, from from the desert to Bogota, the local manufacturers who make the backpacks. But it was a long period for me to find the good leather, leather right. that it was suitable for the for the textile and with the best quality. So. The process is women make the textiles that can take, you know, 15 days uh, from each piece. But because, let's say, we produce 100 or 500 or 1,000 backpacks, we need three to four months to collect all the pieces from the women. Uh, after that, we just the production of the backpacks is, 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 is faster. Even though it's handmade, uh, there is a bigger facility. Um, and then the, the guy in Bogota, he has his group of people who cut the leather, um, make the shape and then build the backpack. After the backpack is built in Bogota with the textile, uh, we just ship it to London where we have a warehouse or the US, any, any place. 
uh, but it's a, yeah, it's it's quite a long, a long Sounds process. And, and and for you, you know, what was the steps you took to actually line up this whole process? Uh, I, I can't imagine it happened overnight, but, but were you aware of this sort of the manufacturing chain? Or did you have to learn that as, as you were going? Oh, my God. I learned everything by mistake, I think. <laughs> I didn't have any any idea, how, you know, what was the star business or what was a cash flow business plan. I didn't have what was like, I didn't know what was a you know, wholesale price, retail price. I just have a really great passion and I was just trying to do something that made me happy. And uh, and I, because it was, I am a risk taker. I I just go for it, you know. I just spend the whole money employing people, you know, finding leather buckles, um, trying to figure out how this works. And and now I think it's, it's, it's actually special because it's, it's sustainable. We can still making a good margin. We can still giving uh, jobs to the women. But at the same time, this is a, a product that is not mass manufactured. You know, mass, right. mass made, mass produced. So it's still trying to show to the fashion industry, look, for us, luxury is not Prada and Chanel and the big ego and names. For us, it's just keeping alive something that is still made by hand, but a community, you know, in the other side of the world, in a corner of the planet, that we need to support this, you know, preserve these this skills. Right. Because where are we going to go in the future, right? Sure. Right. So I got to imagine that on that journey, as you were just describing the ups and downs, uh, when you were at the low points where maybe just something wasn't working over the last few years, you know, how did you keep pushing? Like, like what did, what was that strength in you that just said, you know what, you know, uh, this is a bad day, but how do you get to tomorrow? Well, I have really I like a lot of downs. Um, and I just, what I realized is just like, uh, the personality of an entrepreneur is just resilience, resilience, passion, and love for what you do. But let's say when I quit my job first time two years ago in London, uh, I, I thought it was going to be easier. But, you know, I have just a little bit of money to pay my rent. And I have a huge suitcase, suitcase and, and, and box full of box of bags and bracelets. And there were times where I didn't have money to eat. Um, and I have I was eating like 20 pounds a week to get you know become really vegan to have only bananas and spinach but but I was I, it was hard times and I think what kept me going was you know what I'm gonna make it happen I knew it was gonna be hard but but I, the passion and the vision and I think being optimistic is what always keep me you know pushing going hustling and by the end of the day you break down you feel sad you get you know, get ill, but right. but but you're happy and you're doing something that you believe has a purpose. What do you think over the last few years has been? Uh, what would you say is the biggest roadblock um, that you've had to battle? What do you mean with that roadblock? Just that um, you know you just couldn't find an answer. That you know you you almost maybe had to stop. Like you couldn't get the leather you wanted, or you know, is there anything that's really impeded? Um, you know getting to the goal you wanted where you just had to really make a left turn or you know really pivot as you know um was there any sort of monumental moment where it was like this just isn't going to work this way uh i think let's say i you know in the fashion industry industry you have to go to trade shows Tracers are expensive, three or four thousand pounds. And I actually I invested like four thousand pounds last summer in a trade show. And you know, first day there's no order, second day there was no even buyers, third day I have all these, you know, beautiful bags and spend all this money for thousand pounds and then I didn't have three any order in three days. 
last day I just get back to my house and I was looking at the sky, you know, at <laughs> the ceiling and I was almost <laughs> gonna start crying and I was like, how stupid I was. I believe everything that everything that people tell me. I thought I'm what I'm gonna, you know, do a, the next breakthrough Steve Jobs doing these bags. I was feel so bad. And right. I thought, you know, I'm gonna give up. I just I just don't know what to do. I just have debts. Right. Um but the next day it's like God hear me. I have an order so I walk him and love my collection. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh so you know, let, let's flip a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter campaign. So like we said earlier, I mean, you, you, you've already funded, uh, but you've got 20 days to go. So still a lot of room to continue to get this message out. Uh, you know, what was your strategy kind of leading up before you hit the go button? Where was your mindset? Okay, so um, I'm going to tell you something, guys. Like, I knew I... I have to be very successful on the first day, two or three. So what was my strategy? I just said, okay... I want to put a set goal, the minimum I, I think I should get is 10,000. So I divided 10,000 by um, by 200 or by 100. And then I realized, okay, this is going to give me how many backers I need, right? Or how much money do I need? And then I realized if I have 500 friends who I really believe they're my friends, I'm going to push them to each one put 100 pounds or average of 100 or 50 or 25 pounds on day one. Uh-huh. And I knew that since six months ago. So my strategy was I create a list of 200 people I know from Colombia and London with my email. And I email each one one by one, call them one by one, friends, family, everyone. And I said, look, I'm doing this Kickstarter. Will you support me? Will you? I, can I come with you? Can you give me a word? And I, you know, with the 200, most of them say yes. But at the end, let's say 40 did it on day one right, right. or 50. But it, this was the work, just being sure that each one was going to do it on the day I launched. And, you know, one month before I emailed them, one week before I emailed them, three days before I emailed them, every time was like a countdown, a picture of me, a funny, you know, bag of me begging them, please don't forget, this is the day. And, and, and they, they saw that, and some of them, yeah, straight away, that day, 24 hours, I was funded. That's awesome. Was there any sort of challenge... Um, uh, being so global, uh, I, I guess you know, you, uh, you know, your 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 page is is uh, from the UK, which obviously has you know, Kickstarter is very popular. But but, but was there any issue with um, with being from Colombia? You know, just talking about Kickstarter. What's the temperature of Kickstarter like in in Colombia? Look, this is this is a big challenge, and this was this was like, well, how can I say? People in Colombia don't really know about Kickstarter. Right. Uh, yeah, of course, this most most people speak. They don't speak English, um, and it's really hard to just go and tell all my friends what Kickstarter is. No one really get it. Um, in South America, it's startup community is only coming up recently. But first thing is that it's not a big market. So I knew I couldn't have, I couldn't do, make this in in Colombia. So in London, I actually have found it really hard because not many people know about Kickstarter in the UK. Even the community of entrepreneurs, no idea. It's really? really, really small, yeah. And then when I was talking with Fran, I was like, what is going on here? In the States, everyone knows about Kickstarter. There's yeah, more, yeah. It's more like we a big community. 
Yeah, we call it like Kleenex. If you just say Kickstarter, everybody gets it here. We're like, oh yeah. <laughs> but people love it, right? People support yeah. you. I really like you guys. But I mean, the American attitude of like, come on, let's do it. What can I help? Here in the UK, mm-hmm. people are more shy, a little bit more quiet. I found it quite, you know, harder. Um, but just regarding that, uh, yeah, as being a Colombian, I think people really like the idea that I'm Colombian and preserving all this uh, heritage. Uh, it could be a positive, positive thing. But uh, at the same time, uh, I have to work really hard to get my driver's license so that I can see my identity. Right, <laughs> because right, I don't right. have an English passport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the little things that start popping up as you're, uh, as you're going, you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You, you, you know, it's funny. I, I, now, this might be my own ignorant coming out because I'm just I'm not that familiar with the Colombian background and stuff. But I, I actually have a, a client out of the Philippines. And one of the things we, we found out as we're running a campaign was that a lot of the Philippines don't have credit cards or debit cards, right? They just, it's just not, they just don't have them. Is that also in Colombia? Is, you know, is the credit card world and debit cards, is, does that exist? Yeah, no, no, no. Colombia, of course, it exists. And um, yeah, but everyone has a credit card. But what they don't have is the culture and the mentality and waiting three, four months for a product. Or, you know, getting on like, oh, what is this? What I'm going to put money on? You know, people, yeah, everyone yeah, is a really well-developed country. The yeah. problem is that they just don't get it. It's not that culture of, look, this is how it works. It's a platform for entrepreneurs. You just got to right. support my project. You have to wait. It's not that mentality in mindset. You know, I want everything now. Or, you know, what right, I'm going right, to give you right. money now, right? Interesting, interesting. So what was the first product that you kind of developed um, in this sort of, uh, you know, the first you outside of, uh, you know, quitting the jobs and stuff. And what was the first thing that you actually came up with that, that kind of got this whole ball rolling? So the first thing I developed was just the typical bags. So I took the bags and I took the bracelet that the women and the girls make. And then I went back home in Bogota and I started sticking Swarovski crystals. So I thought it was gonna be it was gonna be easy, but then I have like five hundred bracelets, just just my hands, seven thousand dollars on Swarovski crystals stocks, and I was like, oh, bloody hell, how am I gonna start sticking these crystals in all these bracelets and bags? And it was like through four or five a.m. for the whole month, from whole Christmas, and I was like, this is not how I thought it was gonna be. And then I have to lend money from my dad, and then I start employing women. So women around my house, you know, mother, head of family, or a team cleaners you know in colombia i said like you guys i just pay you by bracelet or back you 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 help me to you know embroider and, and stick these crystals and at the end i was like in my house in the in the dining room and the, the table were just 15 girls men as well making this you know sticking these crystals and i was like running a small facility with any idea what i was gonna do with these bags and bracelets any idea i just thought oh i just gonna bring them today okay i'm gonna sell them <laughs> took me took me a year and a half to move all that stock. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so you know, we we talked a little bit ago about you know maybe the the biggest roadblock or the biggest hurdle you you had to fight. What's been the best moment where you just stand back and you just have that ultra proud moment where you just take the deep breath and go, "I'm doing something really good here." What's what's that story? Um, I think. Look, I don't have a huge, uh, I don't have actually a budget for press and PR. It's just Daniela making this with my own hands, my interns and my team. So we email so many uh, bloggers, journalists, and people actually go back to us like, which is your PR agency who represent you? Or so many times we don't have any press coverage. Mm-hmm. But 
after so much work, I, I just got this, for instance, I got um, one um, article in Forbes in April for a guy who one day called me and said, you know, do an interview. And he never said it was Forbes or anything. And then two months afterwards, my intern was like, oh, look, Daniela, you're in Forbes. And I was like, what? And then the guy wrote this article in April. I just figured out like in June. Wow. And then he was like, he never told me. And the article was amazing. And that gives me, give me, you know, like I never give proud to myself. I never say like, hey, Daniela, this is, is good. Carry on. I just, right. I just never, you know, I never celebrate successes. Um, and then we just four days ago as well, someone else wrote the first article about this Kickstarter in Forbes as well, a women. Uh, and, and that is small things which doesn't make a big difference. It just gives me a little bit of happiness. And yesterday, sorry, this morning I woke up and then I got an email for Kickstarter said, you've been selected for projects we love. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, I really like that. I really love this because even though, you know, even, you know, not many people can write about us, these guys at least, they, they, they see the job I done in three years. So so that, that just makes me really happy. That makes me happy, yeah. Yeah, that that it is great when you start getting the acknowledgement without without you know really pressing and trying hard. You know, I mean, uh, so when when you were sending out the press releases, did you have a strategy at all, or or what was your approach? I mean, obviously you're doing it sounds like yourself or you and your interns, but but was there any sort of you know how how are you approaching that? Well, actually, this is something that I should say you should learn is that I thought that my, you know, I knew I was going to be funded soon. And I thought, oh, this is going to give me a boost and then I'm going to be featured maybe in, you know, the first land page, landing page of Kickstarter. And it was, and it worked so much for getting the backers first that I completely forgot about doing a press strategy. So now we're in the run of sending so many bloggers, creating uh, uh, templates uh, with different templates with our press release and different templates of how to approach the journalist. And uh, this is something I thought I should have worked better, I should have prepared more. Uh, and, and just contacting people from other Kickstarter campaigns saying like, look, you know, what's your strategy? And two guys have been helpful sending me templates, telling me, telling me, you know, these tools work, this tool doesn't. Um, and, and and yeah, now no no I'm sending I'm sending just a really short message at the beginning saying this is my Kickstarter, we just get funded in twenty four hours and this is two approach that maybe you would like to write about us. First is my story of being right. a model and you know, quitting all this to start my business or the other angle is talking about the indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think being just very sure at the beginning and how you know what having a media kit works really well yeah. just a Dropbox folder that everything is ready there so they they write without you without having to talk to you right and, and correct me if I'm wrong this is this your this is your first Kickstarter campaign that you've actually launched correct yeah it is so did you work with anybody because you have a perfectly built page or did you just do a bunch of research oh my god I told you I do everything myself so uh, I did a lot of research and then look my interns we are four so one is a graphic designer for mm-hmm. university so I just really tell them look, this is how we want to be we want to look I give them inspirations look at 
Prada, Chanel, uh, uh, Facebook pages, Instagram, and then just get inspired. And then we try to, you know, be, we want to be there. We want to look like them. So then we we create the page and, and it's all with, with yeah, with, with us, like me. I'm just direct and I tell them, look, you're going to be my the hands of my mind. I tell you what I think, what I like, and we're going to start building this page. But there is no consultant or no one just, um, you know, guiding me in this. That's really great. What's the temperature like, um, you know, being a woman entrepreneur, you know, uh, in the UK or Colombia, what is that like? Is there, is there extra struggle? Is it wide open? Is there a lot of support systems? Uh, well, in the UK, um, in the UK, there's like a lot of um, incubators and accelerators that are now working with female entrepreneurs and you know, give you support and yeah, great women. But uh, uh, when, when you're there, actually, what you need, I think, I think it's still being very hard yeah. because sometimes people look at my project and talk to me and they say, "Well, it's cute, yeah," but I, they don't. I don't think people see me much as a money-driven person, so they say, oh, the project is great, blah, 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 but this is still the stigma that, oh, it won't make big money, or it won't be huge, Um you know, I talk to some guys, and sometimes it's not that, you know, it's not that challenging for them, perhaps. I talked with someone in uh, before launching this Kickstarter about, can you manage my Facebook ad, or can you help me, blah, 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 and this person said, look, well, it's an amazing project, but it, it made me feel I was just cute, it says, um, I don't think it's going to be well, because Kickstarter it's just a man-dominated world and only that it's work and only, you know, so there is a dif- disbelief that it because it's social um, it's not going to work that well uh, but, uh, but and let's say in regarding to Colombia I think, I, think I, I would really like to become a good example for many women in Colombia but um, but it's still it's, it's different society in Colombia uh, women have still this uh, paradigm of you know we, we don't go to business we don't start our businesses by ourselves um, right. which which I think is, it's been changing but it's not as open as in the US and, and the UK hmm. interesting very interesting. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to flip again back over to Kickstarter. So I'm kind of kind of bouncing back and forth here. Uh, how was your social media approach? What did you mentally kind of um, go after when, uh, again, I'm sure months before you launched the Kickstarter campaign, but what did you do on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter? Okay. So, yeah, well, I tried to, to tweet a lot before um, because, like, before my campaign, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, and most of the interviews as well, people talk about having a really good, strong social media presence. So uh, what I thought is, yeah, I started announcing and I started telling people what is Kickstarter, put Kickstarter logo in most of my pictures, uh, you know, from a year ago. And at the same time, every picture I started uploading in Instagram. Uh, or in Twitter, I put hashtag Kickstarter, you know, or Kickstarter will be coming soon. And some people say, like, when is coming soon? You've been talking about this, like, how long? Right, Six right. months. But I think that that keeps, you know, keeps going, keeps me going, keeps people wondering what is Kickstarter, you know, when are you going to launch this? And um, I think it's, it's important. It's important to mention that even if you don't have a date to launch, it doesn't matter. Just said you're going to be having a Kickstarter. Right, right. And... You know, so 
when you were kind of coming up, I want to break down maybe that goal amount um, just for another another minute because I think we just kind of br- br- briefly talked about it. When you were coming up with your goal, what was the strategy again around that? Where you know you, I, I you know you didn't. I'm sure you might need. Everybody wants more money, right? But but how did you assess like a realistic scenario so that you knew that you could fund uh, quickly? Mm, about the, the first goal, do you mean? About like your about your funding goal of what is it about twelve thousand dollars US um, or so about ten thousand pounds like like what was what was the mindset behind it and, or did you do any math or how like was there a formula for the, how you got to that number? Mm, uh, what what is the question like how how can I I just don't understand how to get the ten thousand or why I decided to put yeah 10, why you just, why you decided you know was was there you know oh, okay. profit margins and yeah. And, but then you looked at how many Facebook fans you had, or was there yeah. any sort of formula that you came up with? Uh, no, really. Well, uh, to be honest, what I think, and I still have in 20 days, is that I want to reach 25 to 30,000 pounds. That's what I really want, and that's what I really will need, let's say, to right. to go and produce around 300 backpacks, 200 backpacks. Uh, what I thought is, okay, I've been working these three years, right? I want to sell these backpacks. I don't want to sell 10 or 15. I want to sell at least 100 or 200. Why? Because I want I, I want this to work, right? I don't. I'm not going to come here just to, to go for little. I want to make 200 backpacks, and then I, I realize, okay, for that, uh, let's say it's going to cost me seven to six thousand pounds. You know, if you've got a profit margin, or if you if you want to reach, um, if you want to, yeah, if you want to have the double, have three times what it costs you, I realize, okay, so perhaps I want to reach 30. 25,000 pounds. Um, so I was just thinking first about the the volume I want to sell and how many will be worth it to make, right? right. To have enough um, enough margin, of enough profit at least for me. Hmm, interesting. Gotcha, gotcha. What does scale look like for you? If somebody, you know, if somebody's asking you how to scale this up um, to, you know, become uh uh you know louis vuitton at some point how does that look to you oh okay so well i wish i can scale more and i i I think we will um we kind of scaled if we expand our range of products that i probably probably will happen and the other thing is that i don't only want to produce in colombia i want to create a brand that is going to be international renowned or well-known for supporting indigenous craftsmanship. So I want this model to be replicated in different countries in the world. So I want to move one time to Ghana, or I want to move one time to India, or I want to move to Ecuador and Peru. So every year, people or our customers, I want to be looking forward for the new collection because we're going to be representing any tribe in, tribe in the world through wow. a luxury fashion yeah. brand. So it's a brand that can, you know, can sell bags, accessories, leather jackets, whatever uh, that has right. craftsmanship, but from different um, indigenous tribes in the world. So I think I want to grow that system and that model, and that's my vision, to, to, to have this fa- powerful fashion brand that is not only, you know, the, the, the brand, but what else, right? Right. Right. So, you know, kind of this just popped in my head and kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're kind of almost creating two sides of a company where you have the business side, but then you have the humanitarian side, it seems like. You know, is that how you feel like you're spinning two different plates? 
Um, I think I, I think the part of the social project uh, from Castellano is very important. When what I decided to do that because when I was in the desert with the women, I realized there was not enough water, and only with one pound we can give 20 liters of water to every community or every person. And then I realized, wow. Why if I don't start getting one pound from every race that they sell, and I just put it in a, in, in, you know, in a, in a saving account, and then we collect that every month, every three months, and we go and distribute the water. And then I realized, well, this is very, very viable, because if it's only one pound, three to four, from bags as well, which sell it more expensive, then we're actually making an impact. And we are actually, you know, developing a better societies or helping with the, uh, to the women or the, the people over there. And then, and then my vision start growing into, okay, it has to be a, a fashion brand, but at the same time, we just can generate um, different social projects. And I think these two, these two sides of these two coins of, of the business that are very valuable and are gonna, is what is going to make us as well different. Right. I, I agree completely. I, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, you know, um, just from like the VC side, the venture capital side or, or you, know, um, you know, investors, if if it's hard to see um, the ability to constantly have a social impact on every product as opposed to just looking at the profit margins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, you know, and I wonder how you know, how would you fight that battle or how are you fighting that battle to some degree where you're like, you know what, let's make sure we're always putting the dollar here or, or whatever it is. You know, how do you walk that fine line? Mm, actually, I just don't really know right now because I haven't yeah. been approached by any, uh, I mean, I haven't looked for investment right now. People actually have called and people say, well, you know, there's someone who may be interesting for you to invest or it's, it's, it's very funny because it's like when I started the business, people come to me like C round and C A B C. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? What is A B C? You know, like I'm, I haven't got into that scenario of trying to 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 get and put a business plan myself with projections because right now what I told is I first want to show I have a product that sells. I want to show we have five thousand, ten thousand people in our newsletter who are organic and we're buying a product. Then. When we have, you know, we have now 15 boutiques in London who stock our bracelets. I want to show something that has a potential and has a product that is selling that people want. And after that, I can think, okay, now we want investment where we want a big investment, which I don't want to give away, you know, big part of the company for a bit too little. So I'm just trying to create that value so we can go and say, okay, 10% for this X amount. And then it's, it's a valuable amount. But it's because we're tra- showing traction. Uh, right. And it's not like many startups in tech that they don't have anything, but they raise a lot of money and there's no customer, there's no cash, there is nothing. It's just an idea. So that's right, what's right. happening here in London. That's what's right. really happening, like what's going on. And then they run out of cash and they go, buy more, buy more. But then, they, you know, many, many, many startups like that doesn't work. Yeah, I uh, I have played down that rabbit hole. That was one of my companies. Uh, the VC money ran out just because we weren't a hockey stick. We were a good business model, a good mm-hmm. business plan. We just didn't equal $12 billion. You know, it's like... We equal two million dollars a year. It's like, well, that's a pretty good business, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just it was never enough, never enough. So, so you're sitting, you know, you're funded right now. You got 20 days to go. 
Um, what is the strategy for the next 20 days and where is your mindset right now? Okay, great. So my strategy right now is actually I'm going to start giving a lot of talks, going to some universities, going to women entrepreneurs. Uh, there's some fashion events coming on in London. So I'm trying to spread the word out there. Um, I've probably been partnering with... Um, uh, you know, crowdfunding uh, agencies who help you uh, to get more backers or run the Facebook ads for you because perhaps I can spend a little bit of cash doing that. Uh, but my strategy is mainly just keep going with the, with, the, with the journalists, with the bloggers. These guys are the ones who really have the power to just you know, spread the word out. But it's not one article. You, you need to get like 20, you know, 20 right. 30 yeah. articles in the month. Yeah. It's a big challenge. And then my mindset is... Um, I was quite frustrated uh, like two, three days ago because I was seeing more backers. Uh, but I realized, you know, you you have to relax. Things come naturally because when you work hard, things start coming. If I keep pressuring and pressuring myself, nothing is going to flow. And right. the river only flows without no pushing it. It just comes to you. So so I just, you know, keep working hard and, and see what comes. If it doesn't grow that much, it's okay. You know, I can still come back and do another one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yep. Now, um, now I'm, I'm trying to think, did you have some stretch goals or were you getting ready to announce them? Uh, I'm planning to do maybe next week, do a stretch goal for for a clutch or a new bracelet that we, we would like maybe to, to, to put on the, on the campaign, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, Daniela, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, I'm sure you got a busy day. You probably got a lot of stuff to work on. Um, but I can't, um, I just can't stress enough how thankful I am that you uh, took some time out to, to talk about your product, talk about your stories about being an entrepreneur. I think it's actually very, very inspiring. It's and it's it's a really great product that's giving back. And um, I wish you a lot of luck. It's really great. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. And, and you know, anyone who really want to see my Kickstarter campaign, I appreciate it. And if you can help, help us to share it, uh, it's been it's great as well. It will help us a lot. Awesome. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. All right. All right, how about that conversation, huh? So next thing I have to do is also set out an apology that in the intro here, and I don't want to redo it because I just can't emotionally talk about it anymore. I got to move on. Got to get my day going. But uh, I had a record setting wrong. And of course, that's what today's like today. Uh, I'm a mess. Okay. I got my I got my, my flaws out there, guys. I'm a mess. Um, I hope you guys are all right with that. But I just couldn't go through it. And I'll tell you the other thing. Uh, the song that I have here... Uh, that's in the background. Uh, very emotional song that I wrote with um, a singer of mine out of Chicago named Unique. And um, this song just, uh, it, I tear up just listening to this song. It was about um, the struggles of, of uh, West Side, you know, uh, South Side Chicago. Um, and it's one of my proudest things I've ever wrote. And I wanted to include it because I think it's very fitting for where we are right now. And um, so hopefully you guys continue listening to the song and check it out. And if you want want to hear more, just shoot me an email. And um, yeah, here's here's the song. It's called Reality Killed My Dreams. To free that children from a permanent psychological death, then nothing shall be more redemptive. We shall overcome it. 
before the victory won, some would be misunderstood and called bad names and dismissed as rabble-rousers and agitators, but we shall overcome. And I'll tell you why. When I was a child, I seen too many things. When I got old, reality killed my dreams. Understand the game we play, understand the price we pay. The poor are getting poor, and the rich have seen them gone away. With drugs come poverty and neglect. And in my Ain't nobody there to serve and protect So this war Have you ever walked over The blood of your brother And those who you pay to serve and protect They beat you down And the system takes everything you have When you fall There's nobody else around I'm calling on the spirit Oh, 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 oh. 